All right, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 16. And while you're in your Bibles, I'm going to make it a little easier for you this morning because I am going to uh, jump a little bit here and there towards the second part of the sermon. And I'm going to give you some passages where you can kind of bookmark them. Oh, uh, children up to the age of three can go to the back at this time. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, But I'll give you some passages that you can bookmark so that it can make the uh, transition a little quicker. Uh, We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 8. Uh, 31 through 38, so if you want to bookmark that, we'll also look at Matthew chapter 24, and then uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. So let me repeat those for you, Mark chapter 8, Matthew 24, and 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, just, Just so that it could be quicker for you to jump to it when I get to that point. All right, so let's go ahead and and read John chapter 16, verses 1 through 11 this morning. It says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world will be judged. That is the word of the Lord. So last week was a pretty difficult sermon to preach, and I know it was um, difficult to sit through as well. We were challenged by God's word to minister to those who are hostile towards us and how there is no excuse to not do it. And uh, sometimes that's that's very uncomfortable for us. And uh, but that, you know, that leaves no excuse for us to do what God has called us to do. Uh, Today's sermon, I think, is going to be a little bit more on the encouraging side, Uh, and, and it's, it's so wonderful because, you know, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He gives them this challenge, this, this challenging command to, to witness to the world that will be hostile towards them. And then uh, the very next, uh, in the very next uh, verse, or verses, he encourages them with, uh, with his presence and with his continuous help. And that's what we're going to be encouraged with today as well. But... Anyway, let's, let's, let's start where we kind of left off last week. We saw that Jesus warned the disciples um, that, that the world, and when I talk about the world, I mean the uh, societal system outside of the church. That's, when I speak of the world today, that's what I mean. 
um, or I might use the, the term uh, society, society itself, just so that you, you know what, I, what I'm talking about when I say the world or society. So society is this, the social system outside of the church. Jesus says that society or the world will hate them, and he's very specific as to why they will hate them. Jesus tells the disciples that they will be hated because of him, uh, because of Christ. And the reason why the world will hate them is because he, reside, he resides in them. And that is a, an issue that we talked about last week. Uh, the issue is that Christ is the light. Uh, John uh, chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3 talks about that. And uh, in fact, let's go ahead and, and turn there for a second. John chapter 3, just so that I can read that to you. And you can get a clear understanding of, of why the world dislikes or hates Christ. Uh, Christ is the light of the world, but John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, they say that the world hates the light. Why? Because it loves the darkness. Um, it says here, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That speaks of Christ. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So from that verse, we can turn back to John chapter 16 now, but from that verse, we can clearly see that Jesus is the light who has come into the world, but the world... The society outside of, outside of the church hates the light because it exposes their sin. So that's one thing that we see from this passage. Uh, the world hates Christ because he exposes sin. Also, the world hates Christ because his word is truth. His word is truth. You see, uh, what the world wants to do is the world wants to determine its own truth. And the world wants to say, well, I have truth. I have my own truth. You have your own truth. Let's just go our separate ways and believe our own truth. Yeah, I think I heard somebody say, huh? That's exactly what it is. How can there be two sets of truths? That's, that's, that's a contradiction. The only truth that we proclaim is God's word. Well, the world hates truth. Why? Because truth exposes their sin. The world also hates Christ because he is absolutely pure. There is no wrong in him. None at all. And society outside of the church cannot believe that. They cannot believe that there was a perfect man. Not one mistake, not one sin. He's absolutely pure. So there's nothing that can be put against him. There's nothing that, 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 that anybody can, any wrong that anybody can bring up against him. So the world hates Christ because he exposes sin, his word is true, and he is absolutely pure. And that's why the world hates us, because we have Christ in us. You see, we're, we don't do these things ourselves. We don't expose sin. Our word isn't completely true. And we're not completely pure. But it's Christ in us. It is Christ in us that, is, that, that meets the criteria of these things and also that people hate. 
But regardless, Jesus tells the disciples that even though the world will hate them, they must bear witness to it. And what that means is that they must, they must tell the world the gospel. The gospel. You see, that, that's more than just your testimony about how God has changed you. It has to go beyond that. You have to get to the point where you are speaking the gospel to the people who do not know Christ. They have to hear that they are sinners and that they need a savior. The Bible talks about how the gospel, the gospel is where the power of God's message comes to those who believe. The gospel is what, what, what brings a man alive. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of the gospel and it is preached and he is effectually called, then he comes to life. Because those words, again, are true. So we are to bear witness to the world with the gospel. And that's what we talked about last week in John chapter 15, verses 22 to 27. Now, the connection we made here is that, you know, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He's telling them, this is what you need to do. The connection is that this is a calling for the church as well, because um, we can't just see that as see this as applicable to the disciples. This is not only applicable to the disciples, but but the church. And we see that in Matthew chapter 28 with the Great Commission. You don't have to turn there, but I do want to read it to you because I think it's important for us to remember what we are called to do. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 21 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am I am with you always to the end of the age. See, church, that's that's our calling. That's what God has commissioned us with. It's no different than what he commissioned the apostles with. He commissioned us to reach the world. And I will be the first to say that this calling that God has placed on us is a very difficult calling. There sometimes there doesn't seem to be enough people to do it. Or sometimes people's courage isn't enough. Facing others who hate Christ in you is not an easy thing to do. You will not be the most popular person in the world. And that goes for in your neighborhood, in your job. And depending what church you attend, even in your church. People forget that one of the biggest mission fields that we have in the United States is the church. There are so many who are lost within the church. See, the church's calling is difficult, but God has called us to it. And if God has called us to it, the Bible is very clear to show us that he will equip us, he will provide for us, and he will protect us to accomplish it. We just have to worry about doing it. And we need to realize that nothing escapes the eyes of God. And this is where we start today with our sermon. 
See, knowing that fact that nothing escapes the eyes of God really helps us and encourages us. It helps us because we know that he has determined what's ahead. God has already determined that he will bring it about. To me, that's encouraging that, that I serve a God that is in complete control and he's not waiting on anything to happen before he can do something. That's frustrating for me whenever I have to. I mean, we all have to deal with that every single day. We wake up in the morning and we wonder what's going to happen today. And in, even if we try really hard to prepare ourselves for what's going to happen today, we'll never be prepared for it. See, but God doesn't do that. He has already determined what's ahead. And the wonderful thing about it is that he prepares us for it by his word. And the passage we're reading today is, is, is one of those passages that really speaks to us to prepare us for what's coming ahead and to encourage us that he's going to be with us and he's going to help us through it. So, first of all, when we look at our passage, it's wonderful to see that God warns us of trouble, but he also promises to see us through it. See, we've established that this is part of Jesus' farewell address to the disciples. He's preparing them because he's about to leave. They are about to experience life without him. And that's why they're troubled, and Jesus even acknowledges that in our verse. They are deeply troubled by his words. What he's told them in chapter 15, chapter 16, actually chapter 14, 15, and 16. Even though he's given them encouragement, the fact is he's still leaving them, and they are to experience life without him. But at the same time, this is not only a message to them, this is a message to us as well. This is a message to the church to be prepared to face similar struggles as the disciples or as the apostles faced. And we see this in verses 1 through 4. Let's reread those. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. See, when we read that passage and we take it as a personal message from Christ, it really changes things for us. Because we may want to read that passage and see, well, that was for the disciples. We have to connect the dots, though. That's happening now. That's happening today. And I know I, I do the same thing whenever I see the news or I see something that that I can't believe happened, I, I just sit there and I'm just like, what's going on with this world? And I'm surprised by it. 
But you know what? None of us should be. Because we have been warned in his word. Now, the purpose of that warning is so that we can be prepared for it. Now, that's our fault when we're not prepared for it. And I think we can all do a better job of preparing for what Jesus is warning us about. See, what Jesus is saying here to the disciples and also uh, ultimately to the church, it's a hard message to believe, especially for the American church. Uh, For the disciples, when they heard this, I think they clearly understood it. If not then, they soon did. Because they were persecuted, I mean, from when Christ was arrested and he was tortured and crucified. From then on, that's all they experienced was persecution. All the way up to their own death. So they completely understood it. But see, the American Christian church, that's a hard message for us to... um, to really take seriously. I mean, we, we've had it comfortable for so long. And praise God for that. That he, has, he, had, he gave us that time. He gave us that time so that we can appreciate him. So that we can enjoy each other's fellowship. So that the church can grow strong. But see, the American church, we, we have gotten comfortable. And that has caused a lot of sin in us. We hear a message like that and we're just like, nah, that'll never happen. Here? In, 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 in America? No. No way. But see, we can't, we can't keep our eyes closed to the world forever. We have to open our eyes and, and see that things have already changed. And things will continue to change. And, and I'm not just talking about outside of America. We've already seen change here. And we've seen change accelerate this year. We have to wake up. As a church, we have to wake up. And we have to realize that trouble is coming. And, and, and the freedoms that we enjoy here today... They're going to have to be fought for tomorrow. And this belief, this comfortable belief, this comfortable faith that we've had for so long is going to be tested. It's going to be tested and we need to be ready for that test. See, the persecution of God's church is increasing everywhere, including here in the United States. And there's also, if you notice, persecution is increasing, but, le- but on the other side, there is less concern about it from, uh, from the world as well. It used to be that when you heard about persecution, the world was appalled by it. Even if it were a- across the ocean, if you heard about persecution over there, it was a big story and the world was appalled by it. And, and there was a lot of help that was, that was given to that area. But now... It's just part of daily news. You see it pop up everywhere and people just read it and they move on. People being murdered for their faith. People in prison for their faith. People 
persecuted. Their kids are taken away for their faith. And the world doesn't blink an eye anymore. Here in America, society, society only tolerates us. We need to realize that as well. We're only tolerated here. Because if we truly start to share our faith, then we will receive hostility. That's kind of what we talked about last week. Society only tolerates the church as long as it minds its own business. See, what society wants from us is society wants us to keep our our faith within these walls. As long as you do that, you're good. You can do it. And, uh, And may you be successful in doing it. But don't take that message outside of those walls or outside of your homes. Keep it to yourself. And we talked about last week about some of the uh, idols of society, homosexuality, abortion, social justice. These three things are, are at the forefront right now, and they've been for a long time. But if we speak out against these things in the public, you will receive hostility. I appreciate some people who contacted me this week. Uh, last week, I told you to go home, do some homework. And uh, on social media, just to, just to reach out and attack one of these idols and see what happens. I, I had some feedback this week, and it was as I preached and as I expected. It was some hostility that they experienced. But listen, we don't do this to agitate Christian, I want you to know you are the salt of the world. You bring truth to the world. You bring truth to a world that's lost. This is what you are called to do. See, society hates when Christians hold the world accountable to truth. You see lawsuits trying to force Christians to compromise on their beliefs or their convictions. And the purpose of this persecution, because I do believe that is persecution, when there's lawsuits brought against you because of your faith, the purpose of these, these, these uh, uh, lawsuits and this persecution is to get you to compromise your faith and to serve society with a smile. And we, we can't do that. We see different things going on in the world today. John MacArthur's church in California. If you don't know who John MacArthur is, he's a pastor in California. Has a very um, wonderful ministry in the Lord. Has a wonderful church there. And we know the, the COVID rules for California and how strict they are. Uh, the city of Los Angeles has been after John MacArthur for some time and his church Uh, trying to get them to not have uh, services indoor. And they've brought several lawsuits. They've they've basically just harassed the church, and they won't leave the church alone. But John MacArthur and his church has been able to um, 
still have church and, and have church indoors and have church the way that we're supposed to have church, the way that the word tells us to have church. But see, the city of Los Angeles wants to dictate to John MacArthur and his church how they should have church. Last time I checked, the government is not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Mask or not, indoors or outdoors, using germics or not, that's not a government official's responsibility to tell us how to worship. And I know we all do it for different reasons. Obviously, we want to be safe, and obviously we want to watch out and love our neighbor. But that's still a decision for us as a church to make, not society. Also, the churches in New York, now, now they have a, the churches in New York were, were shut down for, for months and months and months, from March all the way to here just recently. They weren't even allowed to worship together. Indoor, outdoor, there was, they just weren't allowed to. And the reason used was COVID. And of course, people adhere to that, but they finally got to a point where they're like, well, wait a second, can we worship now? And the government said, no, no, you can't. You listened to us initially, now you have to listen to us now. If you do, then you're going to be sued, arrested, or whatever. And now, churches, not only Christian churches, but churches of all religions in New York are suing the government so that they can reopen and have church again. That's why I say things are accelerating in 2020. We couldn't even imagine that beforehand. And even before 2020, what about Jack Phillips? Do you remember him? He was the, the baker from Colorado. Who was sued by a homosexual couple because he refused to make them a, a, a wedding cake. See, not only did he have to face that lawsuit, but then later, the state of, of, of Colorado came after him as well. And that made it all the way to the Supreme Court. And thankfully, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't do that, Colorado. Here recently, we have a justice that's, being, that's trying to be appointed to the Supreme Court. Maybe you've heard the name of Amy Coney Barrett. And the persecution she's enduring because of her faith. There was an article that I read, and it was from a worldly source, but they were appalled that she was part of a community that believed that the man is the head of the household. That was the headline. I'm serious. Appalled. Why would we want a, a, a Supreme Court justice that believes that her husband is the head of her household? Or now, there's 
she's receiving persecution because she believes that abortion is wrong. It's sinful. See, these are only a few things that I'm mentioning here this morning. In fact, just only four. The list, I can go on and on. But I give you these four examples so that you can see it's happening already. And it's going to continue to get worse. Government overreach. Christian censorship. Now, sharing the gospel is considered hate speech in many areas. And direct persecution from those who hate Christ is already happening today. And it will continue to happen. So, what's our response? See, Jesus warns us of the struggle we will have in this world. So that when we experience trouble, what does he say in that passage? That we do not fall away. See, it's wonderful that nothing escapes the eyes of God. It's wonderful that he determines all these things ahead of time. And it's wonderful that his word communicates them to us. And in this area, the word word is telling us to be ready because the world will be hostile towards us and that hostility will continue to grow. And we're being warned ahead of time so that when it happens, we won't fall away. That means we won't disbelieve. Like I said, this is not easy, but this is our cross to bear. And we must remember that we are called to it. Uh, Let's turn to Mark chapter 8. I want to read Mark chapter 8 for you to give you further clarity on, on this calling that we have from God. Mark chapter 8, I want to read verses 31 through 38 for you. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Verse 34, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, now this is important for us right here, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross And follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's better, that's better than I can put it. It is our calling. It is our cross to bear. We have no excuse to quit. God has warned us. And Jesus even tells the disciples it is for their advantage that he went away. 
That same thing applies to us. It is for our advantage that Christ went away. As he left, he sent the Holy Spirit as our helper and also our comforter in times of trouble and times of turmoil. And even as things get worse, we must continue to rely on the Holy Spirit. You see, God has warned us that these things are coming, but on the other hand, he has said, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm going to equip you. You'll be ready for the fight. Even as things get worse, we must continue to pray, to trust, and to serve him. And to know that we have the help of the Holy Spirit. And with that help, we can stand against anything. Secondly, God assures us that he will judge the world. That's a wonderful thing for us, and that's very encouraging for us as well. Let's read verses 7 through 11 again. This is John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. See, the one thing about God that we can count on, if we look back at his word, um, we'll see that God has never failed to judge, and he has never failed to judge rightly. And, And that's something that we can be encouraged by. God will judge. And Jesus is proclaiming that right here, right now. And this is a wonderful message to the church because we have all this stuff going on to where it's like it's going to be difficult for you. Um, People will will come against you. There will be persecution. They'll even kill you. They'll they'll persecute you for your faith. So it's all doom and gloom over here. And we're like and we're just told we have to preach the gospel to this world, this world that hates us because we have Christ in us. So it's all doom and gloom. And none of us are excited about that. Right. Right. None of us are. But on this other side, Jesus says, don't worry. I'm going to judge the world. So what is he saying? He's saying he's going to judge the world for every wrong they've done. And he's especially going to judge the world for the persecution against his church. He's done it before. See, the failure comes, God doesn't, he, he, doesn't, he never fails to judge and to judge rightly. The failure comes on our part, the human side. Man has failed to believe that God will judge him and that God will judge him rightly. And so what happens? So man continues to sin. They, you know, man doesn't believe, oh, there's no God. We have plenty of time. God hasn't, it's, look how long the world's been here. God hasn't judged anybody. See, they look at things without the lens of of faith, but yet there's no fear of God before their eyes. See, throughout the Bible, we're given example after example of how God is going to judge, or how he has judged, and and that he is going to continue to judge. We have Noah and the flood. How were those people whenever the flood came? They made fun of Noah. They ridiculed him for, for building the ark. Then the flood came. No one was prepared except for Noah. Why? Because that's who God showed grace to. 
If not Noah and the flood, I mean, the list continues on and on. Sodom and Gomorrah. How about Pharaoh and Egypt? When they came against God and his people. God wiped them out. How about God's own people, the Israelites, in the desert when they disobeyed God? They received his judgment. How about Israel again when, during the Babylonian captivity? They received his judgment because they worshipped other gods. How about the Jews in the New Testament with the Romans? They received God's judgment. See, the Bible is clear to show that God does judge and he judges rightly. And the Bible is very clear to warn the world and to encourage the church that he will judge the world. Judgment is coming. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 and uh, I want to read verses 3 through 14 for you. says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Clear as day. God's word shows us that judgment is coming. But yet people read a passage like this. And they still do not take warning. They still do not take it seriously. Maybe that's you sitting here today as we read through these passages. You're just like, it's hard for you to believe. Nothing has happened in so long. Is, is, is God really going to judge? It doesn't matter what we think. We must know that God's word stands true. Now let's turn to Second Peter. This will help you with, if, if you're struggling with this, you know, with, with the fact that God will judge, or if you're questioning the fact that God will truly judge. And why hasn't he done anything already? Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and 
the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the word that then existed was, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire and being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and be dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." See, my question to you this morning is, what side of judgment are you on? We can, if, if you're in Christ, you can be encouraged by it. It's going to be a wonderful thing that God will judge the world. Because for us, we have to remember that nothing escapes the eyes of God. He sees all wrong that has been done. For us, that's a wonderful and glorious existence after his judgment. Because we are covered by the blood of Christ. And anything and anyone who's ever done wrong against us will be judged and we will be vindicated. It will be a wonderful and beautiful thing. But again, it depends on what side of judgment you stand. It reminds me of, of, of Noah and the flood and how when it was time for them to go into the ark, they were told, go into the ark. And Noah and his family went into the ark. And then the Lord, God shut the door behind them. And you have this picture of, of, of peace and grace inside the ark as, as the world began to flood. And then on the other side of the door, you have chaos and judgment. What side of the door do we stand on? The door is Christ. Are we in Christ or not? If we're in Christ, we do not need to fear God's judgment. If we're not in Christ, we must be afraid. The thing that we have to think about as Christians, though, is that as Christians, we should not worry about tomorrow. The same God who is Lord over today is also Lord over tomorrow. And he guards us with his providence. See, we shouldn't worry about tomorrow because, number one, we can't change it. Also, we shouldn't worry about tomorrow because we belong to the Lord. And we shouldn't worry about tomorrow because we are told not to. 
commandment from God. It says, don't worry about tomorrow. For the reasons I gave you, because we can't change it and because we belong to him. Go back and look at Matthew chapter 6 and read that chapter. If you ever worry with anxiety, go back and read Matthew chapter 6. Also, not only should we not worry about tomorrow, Christians shouldn't fall back due to hostility from the world. You know, it's very interesting that Jesus would warn us up front. It usually doesn't happen that way. Think about it. Whenever you want somebody's help to do something, I, you know, one of the worst things to ask people help for is to move, right? No one likes to move. No one likes to move. And when you're asking for help to move, what do you say? You don't say, oh, I've been living in this house for 15 years. It's a mess and I have all this stuff to move. What do you tell people? I just need some help moving. It's not that much. It won't take that long. Then they get there and it's a different story. So I think it's interesting that Jesus is warning the disciples up front and he's warning the church that these things will happen. But see, it's interesting and he's doing it because it's not outside of his control. It'd be one thing if he said, man, you're going to be persecuted and and there's really nothing I can do about it. And I, I hope that you make it. See, that's not too reassuring for us, right? If, if that was a message towards us, we'd be like, uh, I don't know if I want to sign up for this. But the message is, you will be persecuted. But take heart. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. I will see you through it. And I will judge the world at the end. See, it helps us to know that suffering accompanies our faith. And listen, suffering cannot be divorced from our faith. If you have a preacher who's teaching you and preaching you that that you should not suffer because of your faith, that that is the false gospel. That is a waste of your time. Because the gospel tells us that suffering accompanies our faith. And if we are willing to follow Christ to everlasting life, because that sounds like a really great deal, we must also be willing to follow Christ to temporal suffering. Because that's what we are told in his word. We can't have one without the other. We can't have everlasting life with God without suffering on this earth. And then also Christians must realize that God will judge all. So then therefore, vengeance is the Lord's. It doesn't belong to us. See, God will bring all things to account. He will judge all and he will judge all rightly. And he tells us that he will judge all according to his word. Now, knowing all those things, it allows us just to focus on what we're called to do. Go out and share the gospel. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we had together. And I pray that your word just um, has encouraged uh, the hearts of your believers. That they just walk out of here with confidence, knowing that no matter what happens to them, that you 
are in control and that you have empowered them to share their faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. We also know that, that, that the fruit is not left up to us. Uh, the results are not left up to us. Uh, they are left up to you. We just have to be faithful in sharing his word. So help us to be bold in our faith and uh, give us the words to say. And, and as, as I prepare for the sermon for next week, that's exactly what we're going to talk about, how the Holy Spirit enables us and helps us to know what to say and when to say it. I just pray that that's, uh, that's something that we focus on before we hear that sermon. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.